What's up, everyone? It's Avital reporting from New York City. touched ground as I've offered instead hyperbolic barriers to arriving, piling up philosophical impediments, taking nothing for granted, staying skeptical about the very possibility of gaining ground, or being certain that New York is at all separable from Europe or it figures perhaps the beginning of Europe, its fade out performance or restart engine indicating another mix or fix, the Western destiny that New York could be a terminal point of or a new beginning for. It's kind of undecidable how we can figure New York ever since Kafka entered in America. So every scholar asks, where were we? Trying to get her bearings, moving through passages familiar and estranging, uncanny, part of a series of flashbacks that cannot be integrated or interiorized. The flashback is cinematic, part of narratology's temporal bag of tricks, but also stands as a feature of trauma where you can't integrate an experience, where it doesn't draw on or render cognition. You can't integrate an experience, you can't file it, you can't interiorize it, but it keeps coming back at you like a series of image hits in your image repertoire that you can barely field. I keep having flashbacks of Monaco and then Paris, episodes of engaged intensity that were cut short by the pandemic or rerouted to technologically circuited boom centers, patching through to you by a spectral medium. Well, all mediums, all media are spectral, flickering from a different algorithm of uncanny proximity and never really at a distant, field not that far off. We don't know where media comes from, where it's going, how it's clicking on, jacking in. And I would um, want to introduce at this point the um, term that Jean-Luc Nancy uh, works with called, and what he calls extimacy, which is a ticking outward from a disrupted location, a frayed time zone. So these extimate, intimate stretches tag 
the flip side, maybe the good side of the utterance donated by Gertrude Stein when she said, there's no there there. So there's no there, there's only a scrap of here, maybe encrypted, a fragment from the past, which can also be the past of someone else, of another being whom you carry and who kind of remote controls you, leveraging the stealth commands of your desire, ever inappropriable, confusing, vaguely intimidating, sometimes even persecuting. So little steerage comes about from conscious prompting. Yes, Freud admonished us to get conscious, to come to, to become conscious morphs in some striking regard that we can now see as not entirely um, Freud in a way exceeds or precedes, we'd have to figure that one out. What we now call woke, at least how to be or let yourself be shaken awake into consciousness of your bearings and bearing your earthbound carriage. So how do you carry yourself and your worlds, however recessive and vulnerable to spoilage, polluted and ravaged worlds that we've already seen in terms of, of their erosion and has made us ask where we are, how we can bear this and bear the unbearable and show a certain carriage and be carried by worlds whizzing past us, fading into a past that was never really present in some regards. So there's also worlds as they fade off that are sparkling in blood money, twinkle, twinkle little stars, yellow stars, historical asterisk to depraved oppression, inequity, and the relentless pounding of the aggressions trip, so the drive of aggression that Freud um, switched with um, the death drive that he always put on mute. So I was thinking of the sharpened facets of black diamonds and what sparkles, what, where the, a certain genealogy of that which seems to be related to our highest gut or good or goods as Nietzsche tries to um, have us think about. But that's a little sidebar and I don't mean to make things more complicated than they already are. Let's return to Freud who admonishes as he urges as part of his, a really crucial part of his task as an analyst and a thinker uh, and a political scientist. He, he um, urges us to get with the um, admonishment, wo es war, soll ich werden, where 
the chaotic mire of id-driven impulse was or va. So it's a where and a was. Um, it would want to look at this rhetorically and in terms of tenses. So where the id-driven um, pulsion was, and it, is it a location, a temporal cue? Can it be superseded or supplanted? But in any case, Freud's very famous hit phrase and slogan is that wo es war, soll ich werden, where it or the id was, the ego or the self should become. Um, so here I was thinking of Derrida's reading of Joyce, James Joyce, um, who, who um, inscribed for us, he wore, which rhymes as coincidence, as fateful clash of va and war. So being in the past and war, a blending of time and war zones. For s war, or where the id wars or collides and crashes us into certain sites of um, destructive, let's say, attirance or um, entice enticement or incitement, where id was, soll ich werden, I, the ego, should become a conscious self or ego structure that would have replaced the runaway lawless id. It gets more complicated and I don't need to uh, exercise some of the implications or co-implications and, and the critical range of motion that this phrase, very important to psychoanalysis and it's thinking about itself, its task, its goal, its, its way of responding to the essential question of where does it hurt? So the ego should replace the id. And whether psychoanalysis can program such a trajectory is as is its fervent hope and serious talk. How would the impulse of ruthless destruction introduce a touch of discipline, even the majesty of non-transcendent awakening? So when, when Freud says, soll ich werden, where all of that mess of primal muck somehow needs to be constrained and brought to consciousness and one would um, really strain oneself toward that alertness of being that is more or less designated by woke if you could skim off some of the um, prescriptive layers and, and stagnations that also attended. So what Freud invites us to consider is a kind of wokeness, awakening that would not then turn towards something else and more powerfully um, 
kind of clobbered or cobbled together. Um, so there'd be no rescue from above or no power signifier to co-sign your loan on earth, your lien on borrowed time. So can you imagine that, establishing that? And if we had time, we would ask with Levinas, you know, and Derrida, of course, and Sixu and so many others, how the Camus as well, um, how that kind of um, affirmation of the ego that would have kicked to the side and out of control it without simply dropping it. There are mechanisms and, and implications, as I suggested, that we would have to look very closely at. But how would that um, work as an affirmation and not a loss, but rather just telling you in a very clear, precise way that it's all on you in your singularity and attunement to what is generalizable in your action or in your reluctance to act, to speak, to punch holes in unhinged narratives and their stealth binding patrols. Hey, it would be a kind of Kantian Freudian progress report knitted together by Hannah Arendt with me um, as the chorus. So this was another one of my drive-bys, but I want to think about how we could um, imagine that call to consciousness that emerges from a restrained, a finally restrained id impulse. And it, it gets more complicated. So many have pointed out Lacan, Zizek, others, the difference between drive and impulse, and, and it's trickled down in terms of, of popular psychology as impulse control. And um, we would want to uh, really track how this can happen and, and maybe re-describe it. Not that Freud needs that kind of tugboat action, but why not bring it to a new port that of New York and, and think of how the id works and how it unworks when suppressed necessarily in terms of a coming to consciousness. So on the topic of the id, today actually was going to raise a question that invokes as a premise, a comparative analysis of New York and Paris stemming from Roland Barthes Fragments of a Lover's Discourse, a text on love and its pile-up disasters that um, I taught this week. Let me at least launch the question as a thought prod, part of what the sublime Robert Musil called a thought sport. We can address this in our next session, namely, can New York, from which or where I am transmitting now, can it be associated with love the way that Paris is? 
And if not, why not? What's the blockage, the decelerant in the urban design of amorous abandon? So this might seem like a, a kind of um, off the charts and maybe quasi sub-philosophical interrogation, but I wanted to ask, since we're still approaching New York and trying to get a, a fix on it um, as a possible location or time zone, and maybe the time zones are so dissident that we, and dissonant that we can't really um, make them coincide in terms of the significance that they beam out uh, these cities. But what inclines a city or a countryside for that matter, a nation state, a red district, that is a district that we read, that we've read, what inclines a geo um, political or apolitical, if that's possible, uh, where we're moving toward the personal, what inclines such a space, an urban bourbon, as one of our local um, writers called it, toward love, starting off, and why not, with the Greek polis, where one predominant form of love, philo, philane, led to the philosophical M. Brace. How does a city brace itself for and with or even against, chafing against love? What kinds of forms of love can be tied to a location that we'll provisionally call a city? Well, let's shelve these reflections on the way cities love, give a permit here and there to the it until next time. You can warm up for our marathon thought sport for our ongoing discussion of how a city produces meaning, stomps it out, reroutes it, and um, parenthesizes certain implications of its own meaningful history, sometimes gone subterranean, subterranean or dark even. So in the meanwhile, my philo friends, stay safe, stay strong, stay skeptical, radically skeptical. Visit with Camus if you want to avoid philosophical suicide. That's his term and warrior avoidance strategy when he says that more or less, I'm condensing and displacing as my Freudian personality urges me to or condemns me to. Whereas um, Kierkegaard managed to project the necessity of countering existential anxiety with a leap of faith and an embrace, embrace of something like religion. There's nothing like religion, but let's say religion. And that was, of course, at warp speed and, and distorted recounting of what Kierkegaard is up to. But there is something like um, the kind of opiates, as Marx says, that we take, 
that we imbibe, that we shoot up fictions or what Nietzsche calls enabling fictions that help us cope with extreme anxiety. It's what the philosophical survival kit is trying to package and unpackage and unravel and, and reassemble according to different exigencies of, of putting things together every day anew according to the um, punishment meted out to Sisyphus, which um, Camus also studied and brought back to us. What happens if you love your punishment? It's an existential question. It's a different kind of uh, way to look at things, different relation to love, perhaps. And certainly something that Deleuze and Dostoevsky and so many others starting in, in the main with Freud's uh, distribution center of different kinds of affect and, and psychological um, surprise attacks and ambushes. What happens if in order to soothe your existential um, um, terror, you bring about a relation to punishment that approximates relief, love, affirmation, and a relation to worlds that are already despoiled and irretrievable. So that would be one of our philosophical uh, uh, puzzles that I leave you with, offering that we get to take joy in thinking together despite dark times, in dark times, maybe in a way in order to traverse these times together. So in the meantime, take care until next time. Peace out.